It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Always live as well on the free Odyssey app on a Vibe Check Tuesday. The vibes are good, Anthony. I think I think we just know deep in our souls that we we got a sprint today, bro. It is a 6:15 out for us today. Uh, Georgetown hoops here on uh, on the station, so we got we got stuff to talk about. We are overflowing with topics, with things, with stuff, and we're done early, so we're just laser focused. I got it. I didn't even ha- like. I don't know. I was having a bad day today. I we'll get to it later in the show. My my vibe check about 11 a.m. this morning was pissed. Couch adjacent. Couchgate is finally over. My wife and I have our lovely new couch in our apartment. Uh, we feel like grown adults. The delivery process to get it was absolutely miserable. So we'll talk about that fun later in the show. And by fun, I mean uh, terrorization. Um, it also, unfortunately, cost us our segment with Linnell today because normally he and I chat in the middle of the day, then we air it for you here, uh, unless the days that he comes in live, which is more on a Wednesday. So Linnell will be with us tomorrow for yet another Wednesday edition of Overreaction Tuesday. Um, but finally got the couch in, got a good workout in, and my whole day flipped. I just feel great, Anthony. I'm ready to go. I'm fired up. I don't even. I walked in today. I told you I was like, I'm fired up. I'm ready to go. When was the last time I was like this? I'm fired up too, Craig. And then and I see you dancing. You're you're getting down. You're ready to go. I like I'm trying to, man. Trying trying to, but also to your couch. It is a fabulous and lovely couch. Thank you. <laughs> I thought for a second you were about to go. Uh, oh, no, no, I'm just glad about to go that. Chappelle show. As to your couch, <laughs> your couch. Yeah. <laughs> Anthony's in there with his feet on it. Ah! <laughs> now nah, that thing is definitely is really nice. Really it's nice. very. It better be nice for the pain, suffering, and expense that we went through to get yes. it. But uh, I'm pumped. We got a great couch. Look forward to getting back home after the show and sitting down on it and watching some, I don't know, some tennis at some point, but that's the Australian Opens late. Uh, and what else is, I was trying to say what else is on tonight. Uh, some basketball. There's definitely some hoops on. Yep. Uh, and we will get to the huge, huge breaking news out of the NBA today. One of the most, like, on its surface, most shocking NBA stories on court, you know, category in a long time. Um, realistically, if you've been paying attention, not that surprising. But the Bucks fired Adrian Griffin today, their head coach. They're the second seed in the East. They're thirty and thirteen, and everybody hated him. So he got he got gone. Uh, we will get to that story coming up a little bit later in the show. We start, though, with a Vibe Check Tuesday where we take your calls at 301-230-0980. That, of course, is the Ace Law listener line, 301-230-0980. If you're in a wreck, Ace Law helps you get a check. You call 8888-ACE-LAW to make that happen. And we have a very simple question for you on this Vibe Check Tuesday. How do you think the search is going? And who? I guess it's two questions. How do you think the search is going? Who do you want as your head coach? I think some people got a little bit of a false sense of how quickly the commanders could hire someone um, because they hired Adam Peters so quickly. But realistically, you never were going to hire anybody until at least this week, and that was going to be determinant on how playoff results happened. And I also think it's hilarious. Like I'm going to make the whole audience smarter right now. Anthony, you ready for this? 
Everybody, notebooks out, write this one down. Any report you see that says they have a favorite doesn't know what the bleep they're talking about. I'll say it again in case you uh, in case you need to be able to write that one down and you, you didn't get it. Now, uh, this is, of course, a facetious imaginary thing. If you are driving right now, please keep both hands on the wheel. I think you can remember it. If not, the show is podcasted. You can go back and listen to it later. Uh, we're, we're at 4.08 right now. Uh, you can, you can, we're, we've got a little bit of a late start. Uh, I think, I think we didn't do anything, did we? Doc and Russell ran a little late. Yeah. Okay. Fine. Just, just so we're probably about six ish minutes into the show. Um, if you need to go back and check this later on the podcast, but we're going to write this down, Anthony, everybody all in together. Now, any report that says they have a favorite is not real. It is people chasing clout. That's why it's coming from bloggers and people that don't have real sources as opposed to John Kime and Nikki Javala or Ben Standig or the people that actually Adam Schefter, like people that either cover the league or cover the team. That is just not possible because they haven't interviewed the people who are the actual favorites. So, yes, they have a list of favorites. They have the people that they've interviewed uh, virtually, which were more getting to know you than, hey, we're going to sit down and get on a whiteboard and do all the head coachy stuff. Like, they did an initial round. Out of that round, they probably do have some favorites. But the idea that it's a done deal, Ben Johnson's the guy, is really hard for me to buy when they haven't sat down and interviewed him in person yet. They haven't done that with Mike McDonald either or Aaron Glenn, Johnson's counterpart, the defensive coordinator in Detroit. Now, at this point, they have done that with Raheem Morris. They have done that, uh, or at least, I don't know, I can't remember uh, off the top of my head which ones are today, tomorrow, Thursday, but like by the end of this week, they will have done that with Raheem Morris. They will have done that with Dan Quinn. They will have done that with Eric Bieniemy. They will have done that with with some of the other people that are available to Bobby Slowick, uh, I think, has his second interview, uh, his in-person interview today. But until next week, when the commanders have now scheduled to talk to Mike McDonald on Monday, the 29th, a week from yesterday, uh, or they, or and they have flown to Detroit, to talk to Ben Johnson and Aaron Glenn in person in Detroit, it's really hard to have a favorite. Because the interview matters more than people want to give it credit for. This is the thing that I I just, I think people are messing up right now. And I talked about this a little bit yesterday. But people... Like, the the chips are changing right now in terms of who, who we're... Who's in front? Who's the favorite? Who's the leader? Not based off what's happening on Saturday and Sunday. Not based off what's happening in these playoff games. It's happening, or it's changing based off the interviews. The resumes are what they are. They've had full season 2023s. They've had full seasons, period, for most of these people in their their current roles and possibly a decade plus of other work. That's the resume. One more playoff game ain't going to budge one way or the other. What's going to move this is the interviews. And those have started to happen, 
but haven't really happened yet. So when you see some random random Twitter account saying, a source told us that Ben Johnson's the favorite, hate the algorithm that gave you that very dumb tweet, and if you follow that account, unfollow them immediately because they're full of crap. So now that we've established thems as the ground rules, uh, and we know that, yes, for sure, Ben Johnson is a favorite, duh, but that it's not this done deal that uh, some some social media accounts are reporting. Um, very simple question on the phones, 301-230-0980. Who you want as the head coach, and how do you think the search is going so far? Our Vibe Check Tuesday with your calls starts next. Sometimes I look at the call screener and just go, this is about to be fun. It's the Hoffman Show. We're on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Simple question on a Vibe Check Tuesday, 301-230-0980. Who you want as the commander's head coach as we are now in week, what is this, two, three of the search? I guess technically in week three. No, week two. It's technically been two weeks, and we're heading into the third because we've right. been we've searching two since. complete weeks. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, just a reminder: like, if they wind up hiring someone who plays in the Super Bowl, uh, we're looking at like a Valentine's Day hire. Just, just so everybody's on the same. Like, that's what happened with Steichen and Gannon last year. Um, that's lovely. Yeah, reunited. Match made reunited. in heaven. Yeah, we gotta have some fun with that. Keep writing those down. Uh-huh. All right. Uh, let's do it. Uh, 301-230-0980 is the phone number. Uh, let's start off with Lap. Lap, what's up, man? Hey, what's up, Craig? Man, I, I, I want Eric Ben to be, man. I, I like this guy, man. He make you want to, you know, be accountable. He wants you to be your best self. You know, he make you run through a brick wall, man. And, um, he challenges his players, man. And it's okay to, you know, be a little tough, man, because the guys here in the building was too comfortable. You know, that's why they complained about, Ron, um, you know, Eric being a because Ron, he, he, he let them do what they want to do. You know what I'm saying? And you you, you can't do that. All right, man. let me ask you, you a know, question. Gotta be let, me, let me ask you a question. Because yeah. I, I don't disagree, like, factually with a lot of the stuff that you're saying, um, that there was – too many yeah. people that were too comfortable that um, Bienemy. I think Bienemy cares immensely about his players, his people, um, and and there's been just too many players that have come out and talked about that who care about him a lot and, yeah. and speak highly of him. But what did Eric Bienemy come here to do? He, I think, he came here to be in a better position, of course, than he was in Kansas City by also, doing what? I think low key. Being a uh, assistant head coach and an offensive coordinator, something he's never done before. Right, also, and how? Here's my question. He's in a position to be a head coach too. How? How did? I think, here's my question. How'd that go? Yeah. It didn't. It didn't. It didn't go as, as well. But I mean, you can't blame the entire fault of the team just solely on him. Right, know? but just because it, it wasn't it all was, his fault doesn't mean that he now gets to be the head coach. Like he didn't do a good job. Well. Well, I still think he needs to get a, a opportunity to for to what? This ain't a charity. For it. It, huh? This ain't a charity. Well, this is based on 
Well, you because you're looking at it one sided though, Craig. You're looking at it based on what he did here. You're not looking overall his whole overall knowledge, his football IQ. He played the game. I so did a lot of these other guys that are candidates. Like a lot of the stuff you just said, you could talk. You could say about Ron Rivera, who they just fired. Yeah, but it's 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 been for years that you know Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach. A lot of people said that. Now it's like, oh, we're looking at one season with the Commanders. It's like, oh, he shouldn't get an opportunity. Come on, man. That's crazy, man. Like it's not you. You what? What has he done? Track record of the people that's. Well, Craig, you got to look at the track record of what people are doing now. They're building off of success, and they're getting credit off success from what they what other head coaches are because they're trying to get an opportunity too. So you can't say he's not well-deserving because of, you know what I'm saying, what he did in one season with, with this team, and he's been around his business for a long time. Like The, the whole point, Lap, we got, we got some other, other folks on hold. I appreciate your call, and – you know, I've talked about this before with EB, and it's pretty simple. He came here to prove that he could make manage an offense, coordinate, build something, whatever, without Andy Reid. And he was not set up in a very good position, but he ultimately made that decision. He was like, This is worth it for me. I'm gonna go to I'm gonna go to Washington. And he had more power. I heard Kime say this today on his podcast. Eric Bieniemy had more power as an assistant head coach in Washington than anybody since Marvin Lewis when Steve Spurrier was here. And from hearing Kime tell stories of the Spurrier days, of what it was really like behind the scenes, Marvin was the head coach. Spurrier was kind of the the quasi-offensive coordinator who was up on the hill watching practice from above, uh, practicing his golf swing. Marvin was actually the one running everything. So, yeah, Marvin had a lot of power, especially on the defense. But as an assistant coach, it wasn't there wasn't some mandate to get to, to make Sam Howell pass the ball all the time. Eric Bieniemy wanted to do that. Eric Bieniemy took a young quarterback this year with 19 passes worth of NFL experience and made him the highest attempt guy in the NFL. That is not someone who you look at their resume and go, yep, sign me up as the head coach for a number two pick coming in next year at quarterback, most likely. Absolutely no way. Yes, he has had a ton of success. Yes, he's really smart. But this is, there's no such thing as deserving a job. And specific, specifically right now, like, I'm going to take that back even. There is such thing as deserving a job. And I think based off his resume in total, Eric Bieniemy deserves a shot at being a head coach. I don't think that's a false statement. However, if I'm looking at it from the team side, I'm not interested in him because he's not the number one option. If I want an innovative offensive mind who's got a proven track record over some period of time, like Ben Johnson's two years uh, in Detroit, pretty darn good uh, with less talent than what Eric did in Kansas City. And by the way, you know, those Kansas, like if we want to parse it out, it's pretty easy to look at Kansas City and go, hey, man, yeah, you were great. You just put the ball in Mahomes' hands. Patrick Mahomes is maybe the greatest quarterback to ever play the game. And so I'm looking at it for Washington as, hey, finally, we're the one that people want to go home with. We're the, we are the best. 
option on the market. Why would I why would I have to give EB a job because he quote unquote deserves it? This isn't a charity. This is the NFL. It's ruthless. And yeah, he's now interviewed for 17 head coaching jobs. Maybe there's something in those interviews that tells people, I don't know about that. Maybe those people are racist turds. Also possible. It's the NFL. Wouldn't be the first time. But the results are what they are based off of last year. He came here to do it without Patrick Mahomes, without Andy Reid, and he failed the test. If this was the test, he failed. You don't get to fail and get the job. That nixes the deserving thing. Stop doing the EB thing on those grounds. I'm not saying he's not smart. I'm not saying he's not a good coach. I don't even know that he wouldn't succeed 100%. I think there are better options that are more likely to succeed and more likely to succeed at a higher level. And you can build with over time because they don't irritate people with the same frequency that Eric Bieniemy does. And maybe some of those people that says more about them than it does about EB, but it's a tale as old as his career. So why deal with it if you don't have to? It's just suboptimal. Go for optimal. That's the point. Uh, last call for this segment, but we got plenty of more time to take some calls for the rest of the hour. So if you're on hold, don't go anywhere. If I don't call your name, 301-230-0980. Let's go to Gary. Gary, thanks for calling. You are on the Hoffman show. Uh, thank you for uh, taking my call. Uh, follow up on what that last caller said. Uh, EB would not be my first choice. Okay. Um, only because I think there are probably greener pastures out there for him. Um, he took, he gambled on himself. What I like about him is he gambled on himself. Nobody would have told him to take this job with a fifth-round draft choice um, as your quarterback and trying to propel yourself to a head coaching job. He gambled on himself. Why do we want gamblers out. as a head coach? Um, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not saying I want him, okay? I'm that's saying, but like that said. shouldn't be a positive point on his resume. No. I want no, judgment. He gambled on himself. He no, he gambled on himself. Sure, he said, "I can go in here and I can do this." I I appreciate that. Okay, you sure. gambled on yourself. Okay, that's why you have your own your own show. Okay, I appreciate that he took that because this was not a desirable job. Okay, when he took it, it wasn't. All right. So what I'm saying is for that caller, I think Eric Bieniemy could do the same job in Detroit that Ben Johnson's doing. I think he could have done the same job that this Slowak guy who just all of a sudden is becoming everyone's darling after one year okay that's the frustration that people have when people are talking down eb because these guys instantly become head coaching candidates after one or two years and eb like, has been bouncing here's, around here's, here's the thing gary years. like i you can rewind the tape to the spring and when eric signed here i was as vocal and by the way as straightforward as anybody on some of the reasons why eric Bieniemy had not been a head coach and why it made Absolutely no sense based off of his resume. However, to say that he could have done the same job that Johnson did in Detroit is just incorrect based off the data available. What Johnson did specifically the in Detroit, the, the tape, available? the tape doesn't lie. He, what, what's the tape? They got better running backs. They have better running backs. They have Detroit. better design. Okay. They have a better cohesive game plan. 
They have ways to get their playmakers the ball. All the stuff that everybody called in about all year about this offensive failing, Ben Johnson does it arguably better the last two years than any other coordinator in the league, Kyle Shanahan included. But he's got great players. He's had underrated players there. Okay, okay so you got, got great players here like Terry McLaurin that just had the worst season of his no, career. No, 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 no. The stats don't tell us that. What do the stats tell us? That they get no separation. No one, people are glossing over that. Okay? The, the fact is our receivers don't get any separation. That's not scheme. That's you lining up against your guy and you beating your guy. Oh, but it is and scheme. And they don't do it. It is scheme because it, within no, the numbers of no, average no, separation, saying, Gary, hold on. If you're going to make a point, you're going to let me counter it or I'm going to hang up on you because that's how this works on the radio. So some of those numbers are averages, right? That average yard separation, yes? I guess. I take your word for that. Okay. So when a coordinator schemes open a receiver and they're open by 15 yards based off a win with the pen, with X's and O's, that goes into the average, yes? It goes into the average, but it also goes to the talent of the player. Sure. Okay. But there are times... is better than Terry McLaurin. I don't disagree okay. with that, with, with the season McClellan. that Amon Ross St. Brown they just had. They have a had. much better tight end. Sure. They have a great tight end, a young tight end. They have two great backs. And okay. what does Ben Johnson do? They have a young stud What does Ben receiver. Johnson do? What, 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 what I'm saying, I think I think EB could do the same thing. But here's the this neither here nor that. I don't want EB as the head coach. Okay, but I'm just telling you, that's the sensitivity that people have. Well, people people need to stop being so sensitive about this and actually watch the tape and stop going with feelings and start going with actual information. No, because they see they see in the NFL. okay, what has been historically a racist league. One thousand percent blame people. Yeah, but what I'm saying, I'm trying to give you some perspective on why people are, are in EB's corner. Okay, you're, I don't, saying, you're looking at it objectively. You know yes. what you said. I know what you said a year ago. You went EB's corner. I'm not my 100%. frustration is not with you. I'm just trying I'm just trying to explain where that caller is coming from is why he wants he said, Look, you guys are looking at one piece where this guy has not lived up to expectations and that washes away and gives credence to all of these other opportunities that he didn't get. That's the frustration. But what I wanted to say oh, is... Hold on, uh, Gary, I, I promise I'm actually going to agree with you for one second. And, I, and then I promise, even though we're over time, I'm going to let you get to your main point you called in with. I'm really glad you said that because that is good perspective and I should have been more sensitive to that. That that was very well put and I appreciate you for saying that. So thank you. Okay. I, I appreciate that. Um, but what I want, and I think what's best for Washington, is getting somebody that's proven, okay? get uh, You're not going to get Belichick, but, they, but Rabel and Quinn are out there. And and what there you can take all of these hot shot coordinators and you look over the history of time. There have been no bigger, more disappointments than hot shot coordinators. These are two coaches that have led teams to playoffs. When they sit in that seat, they know how to be a head coach. They they've led teams to playoffs. Dan Quinn should have won a Super Bowl. Um, you see what he's done with the Dallas defense. The Dallas defense is one of the worst ever. A couple years ago, he takes over. And he gets him in the top ten immediately. I think he's a leader, and I think Vrabel. Um, the only thing that scares me about him is he may have some ego issues, but he knows how to coach. So that's what I think Washington needs is somebody not a gamble, but they need somebody who has done it before, and um, and and can immediately take over that seat and lead men. That's what I want. 
So all right, Gary, thanks for yeah, the call. I appreciate your time. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I, I appreciate your call. Um, and he made a good point about why people are sensitive to EB. I just, at some point, the data available has to override the sensitivities. And I just, I hope that people can realize that it, it for EB, like I, I'd understand, like, hey, it's not personal. And then if it's about you, it feels personal. Um, I had a Twitter interaction like that today where I had to check myself. It's much less serious, like it's a Twitter interaction. Craig, get over it. Um, but like, you know, you have this this moment where someone's like, "Hey, it's not personal. It's just the way you're doing your job." And it's like, you know what? That's that's fair. The way Eb did the job, he doesn't deserve to be the head coach here. It's just it's just not. And I think that eventually, too, we have to do. We we should be skeptical on the grounds that Gary was talking about, along racial grounds of the discrimination that's happened in the history of the NFL to what's going on or what's happened to Eric Bieniemy over time. But also, when 16 and now 17 different people interview you and go, eh, I don't think so. Is it maybe because the guy doesn't... Like, I, I've, I spent the first segment telling you, or telling everybody, that the interview is the most important thing, not the resume. The interview is more important than the resume. He's interviewed now 17 times. The resume is good enough to get him in the door. The interviews are not good enough to get him the job. And by the way, this year, now, the most recent thing on the resume is one of the worst things on the resume. It's not going to help your case. As for the leader, hotshot coordinator thing, I'm looking at the head coaches in the most previous Super Bowls right now. Sirianni, Andy Reid. Sean McVay, Zach Taylor, Arians, Andy Reid, Andy Reid, Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, Bill Belichick, Doug Peterson, Bill Belichick. Like, and even, you know, you go back to Belichick versus Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn was a hotshot coordinator three years before he made the Super Bowl with Atlanta when he was with Seattle. So, the yeah, it's not a hotshot offensive coordinator, but most of those guys have turned into really good head coaches recently. Like, the guys off the McVay tree have generally done, and the Shanahan tree have generally done pretty freaking good. Those are the guys that are coaching this weekend. So, uh, Vrabel, Vrabel's interesting to me, but I don't trust him to build an offense uh, because everyone off the Belichick tree has been a disaster offensively. What's his network like? Who's going to be his OC? And Quinn, like, once Kyle left, really wasn't that good. I do think he's a dynamic leader of men. I actually wouldn't be that mad at Dan Quinn. I don't think he's the best option, but... Um, and I also think he's been introspective and learned from that first time through in Atlanta. But like to pretend like they, because they've failed as head coaches somewhere else, that they're better suited than someone who hasn't failed yet is not exactly logistical to me. I feel like at this point, Anthony, we should just keep going and then I should double break. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going. Uh, let's go to uh, Nelson. Nelson, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. Hey, Craig, uh, thanks for taking my call. You got I it. I appreciate it. Love your show. Love you even on YouTube more. Appreciate that. Who do you want to be the head coach um, of the Commanders? Got to be Johnson. Got to be Ben Johnson. Um, I was watching Hard Knocks um, over the weekend. A lot of people might not have realized that, but you can still get it if you got some type of streaming service. Yep. My God, that the, the coaching staff that he's coming from fires you up. And if you were on that staff, and I'm somebody on your show mentioned something about leadership a few weeks ago, leadership is not going to be an issue with this coach. There's no this this guy can coach from from the turnaround that they did in two years, turnaround that they did offensively, 
You know, I, I, I like the way he's going to bring fire to this team, hopefully, if he's given the opportunity. Because he, he's going to get his he, – wherever he goes, he's going to have a fired-up team mm-hmm. offensively. And I think he's going to have a fired-up – you know, you got not only – he's going to be the coach, so you got to have a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator. And hopefully, I'm thinking that we can get the quarterback coach from Detroit. You know who that is? Who is uh, – I'm trying to remember who's the QB coach right now in Detroit, actually. Used to be the quarterback here. I can't remember. Oh, my God. Play for Jacksonville. Oh, Brunel. Yeah, 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 yeah. Brunel. Yeah. So, I'm hoping if he can get, you know, him to come along, that would also would be a great hire to go along. Totally agree. Nelson, I got, I got a bunch of calls stacked up, but I appreciate you listening and watching us on YouTube. Thank you, man. Um, and, and to that point, there's already some stories out that Hank Fraley, the offensive line coach in Detroit, would be the OC under Ben Johnson here, which would be a phenomenal hire. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in the league. That's a position where the commanders haven't really done well since Bill Callahan left. And even Callahan, he's an amazing O-line coach, but it wasn't exactly a perfect fit with the offensive coordinators here whether that was Sean, Jay, Kevin, like those guys didn't always see eye to eye and that marrying of the pass game and the run game that is so essential to what Ben Johnson does offensively, like would automatically be there if Johnson brings Haley or Fraley, excuse me, with him. Um, So that's really exciting. And And I also think like talking to people who have, either talked to Ben Johnson or been around him like the dude's a dynamic leader just because you don't see it and Dan Campbell overshadows that doesn't mean it doesn't exist so I totally agree with the leadership thing and I also think that there's been like some revisionist history on Jared Goff that's super weird the three years between Goff making the Super Bowl and Ben Johnson taking over as the OC were bad years for Jared Goff like his last year in LA He was 20 touchdowns to 13 picks. They won nine games. They went to the Super Bowl. Belichick destroyed them. They had two bad years, and Sean was like, oh, you got to upgrade here. Like, if we want to win the Super Bowl in L.A., which was the goal for the franchise at the time, we got to do better. Goff's not growing the way we want him to. So they punt on Goff. They get Stafford. It works out for both teams in the end. But the first year, Anthony Lynn is the coordinator for Dan Campbell. Goff was not good. He had a QBR of like 39.5 for the season. Ben Johnson comes in as the OC, and Goff's damn near in the MVP conversation. They've been the one of the best five teams in football for a year and a half. And their offense was good early last year. Their defense was abysmal, which is why they start, and they lost a bunch of one-score games and started like one in seven and then dug themselves out of the hole and damn near made the playoffs. So like Johnson's he's impressive. And the other thing I like about Johnson, he's coach quarterbacks and he's coach tight ends. Dude knows football on all levels, run game, pass game, everything there is to know about offensive football. And he knows how defenses want to attack you, which makes you a better head coach. All right, let's go to Bob. Bob, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman show. Hey, thanks for having me guys. You got Um, it. First off, no disrespect to Eric Bieniemy, but the two places I think he's known for his best coaching job, he arguably had the best players at the position ever in Patrick Mahomes and AP. That is also true. Um, now, I personally like Bobby from the Texans as a quarterback. Um, I mean, as a court head coach, because 
Last year, he took the number three pick. I wonder what he can do with the number two pick and stabilize that position. Um, yeah. But I do believe it has to be an offensive-minded offensive, offensive minded coach to grow with that quarterback. We're going to take a number two. All right, Bob, thanks for the call. I don't disagree with the, him as being super intriguing. You know, we had Nick Wagner, uh, who covers the 49ers for ESPN on the show like two weeks ago at this point, a week and a half ago, uh, when they hired Adam Peters. And I asked him about Bobby Slowick, and Nick – Talking to me about Bobby Slowick reminded of me talking to other people about Sean McVay back in 2016. Like, you just, there's something special about that dude. And yeah, he did work really well with the young quarterback. Also, that young quarterback is a freaking dude. Like, that guy, CJ Stroud, is sick. And to Eric Bienemy's credit, like, I think some coaches could coach anyone, and some coaches are kind of designed to coach super elite players. Like, some coaches are are the kind of guy that can get the absolute most out of a Patrick Mahomes. They can squeeze it, but you put him with with someone like a Jared Goff and it's like it's it's a disaster. And I think Bienemy might be one of those guys that like yeah, he's a perfect fit in Kansas City with the type of personalities that they have there. And that doesn't mean it's the only way to do it. Um same thing with Adrian Peterson. But like Adrian Peterson was an alien. There was no such thing as working Adrian Peterson too hard. If you if if they can draft an alien at number two, great. EB is kind of appealing then. That's why I said like EB going to the Chargers with Herbert, kind of appealing. But what you're more realistically going to get to try to build a team in the model of the Niners, of the Lions, of a lot of these teams that didn't hit the the grand slam at quarterback. I think someone like a Ben Johnson is is a is a better, safer pick or a Slowick or you know one of these guys that has a a, a more experience working. I would say on that level. Um, last but not least, let's go to Drew in Rockville. Drew, thanks for calling. You're on the Hoffman Show. Hey, what's happening, Craig? What's up, man? Appreciate the call. All right, so my my number one is uh, Mike McDonald. Uh, that's my number one, and then number two for me would be Ben Johnson. Um, I'm going to throw something in, in quick when it comes to EB. Yeah. Uh, EB did not help himself with the lack of balance. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an EB fan, um, but, you know, that, that is true, is that he did not help himself with the lack of balance. But I, I, we also have to stop pretending, um, you know, some of us, um, that guys were never open. Um, I mean, several times each game, even when Sam had good games, um, there were guys open that Sam missed. 100%. I mean, that, that, happened, <laughs> that happened quite a bit. Um, so, you know, so we could get into semantics when it comes to separation. And, yes, some of that is scheme. Uh, you know, but even, even with that, you still have several times during the game where Sam just flat out missed someone. And you can also tell with Sam, Sam kind of made up his mind, okay, let me let me get it over here to Brian Robinson real quick. Let me get it to Antonio Gibson real quick. Let me go to Logan real quick. Instead of waiting for, um, you know, Dotson, that extra half second for Dotson to get open, um, that extra half second for Terry to get open. That happened a lot this season. So 100%. it wasn't this, you know, this horrible coordinator. It's just that the lack of balance is what hurt him. And, and Craig, there – there, it, this stuff probably with the offense would have been a lot different if if um, if Ron didn't undercut Eb, you know, in in the beginning with the 
guys are going in talking to him and this, that, you know, in meetings and all this other stuff. I think I think the offense probably would have functioned a lot better if EB had that proper backing from so, Ron. Drew, I would say this. I I don't know whether you're correct on that or not. I think a bigger factor is I think the offense would have functioned better if EB had been able to hire all of his position coaches that he wanted. I think that's a and, way and I, bigger I deal than like Ron saying something in the media that I don't really know if it was a big deal. I don't know that it wasn't a big deal. And maybe for certain guys, it was some guys just never really respected him. And other guys did like, I don't know what kind of mixed bag that was, but ultimately the inability to like teach the offense at a high level to get the level of execution you need to win in this league is on some level, of course, a reflection of Eric, but also is a reflection of the position coaches, many of which he didn't get to hire and probably would have replaced if there wasn't a spending exactly. freeze from ownership because they were in the dumbest season in NFL history. And, and this is why it's insanity to behave as if the man could never be a head coach and be a functional one. Right. <laughs> I mean, but if he has to, his people. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Mahomes is up there saying, man, this guy made me a better player. This, this whole For thing. sure. But like you said, who are your two top candidates? McDonald and Johnson. Like you would still, you know, like not EB, like it's not really about EB. It's about the fact that there are better candidates than EB. And just because there's familiarity and he was here doesn't mean he gets to jump the line of those better it. candidates. I, I, listen, I wouldn't puke if EB was the head coach. You see what I'm saying? I, I'd Fair be enough. Okay with it. Fair <laughs> enough. Hey, Drew, I appreciate the call. Thank you. All right, uh, that will – well, shoot, now we're even late on the, the second one. So we'll come back. We'll wrap up the hour. We might have time for one more call. Uh, but then Michael Phillips will join us coming up at 5 o'clock here on The Hoffman Show. Wrapping up Overreaction Tuesday here on The Hoffman Show on the Team 980. We're always live as well on the free Odyssey app. A lively hour of radio. We only have one more after this, and then a slight 15-minute segment. Uh, as Georgetown hoops tonight at 6.15 here on the Team 980. So overreaction Tuesday. One more call. Got time for that in 30 seconds. Uh, then Michael Phillips at 5 o'clock. Uh, and then we'll do some of the NBA uh, news of the day. Adrian Griffin fired in Milwaukee. Crazy story there uh, after just 43 games. We'll talk about it coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. A little take command niblet as well. So lots still to come here on the show. All right. Let's take one final call here. Let's go to Ray. Ray, thanks for holding. You are on the Hoffman Show. Hey, Greg. Just wanted to make one quick point. I think for me, the top two choices are, number one, uh, Ben Johnson, particularly if we're likely going to be drafting a quarterback. But I think my 1B, I think it's a little bit closer, at least for me, would be Raheem Morris. Uh, mainly because he's got experience on both sides of the ball. And if you want to talk about a guy who is connected into those coaching trees, um, I don't do anybody better. And, you know, coming on the heels of a uh, Rivera tenure, he's a guy with incredible charisma and can potentially really help in changing the brand of the commanders. And that's all I got. No, Ray, it's a great call. And actually those are my top two as well. I would say McDonald is, is either one C or three. Like I'm very intrigued about Mike McDonald. Um, the way he, uses and deploys his defenders is like that's a super talented team but the whole point is to get talent um you know maybe you don't want to be reliant on it and I think that's like the criticism of Biennemi is like yeah he's coached some incredible players 
and help maximize them, uh, whether it's Adrian Peterson as his running backs coach or Mahomes is, is a quarterback. But those guys are at a level that you you might not ever get the draft no matter how many times you, you take a top 10 pick or whatever. Um, can you get like the really good players, the Amon Ross St. Brown's a fourth round pick who's got a very particular skill set that is maximized? Can you take a guy like a Jameer Gibbs and make sure that, you know, oh, he's overdrafted. Not in Detroit, he's not. They know how to know how to use him. And I think Raheem Morris is a guy that has shown some ability there as well. And and to get back to who I was talking about, Mike McDonald has shown an ability to take Roquan Smith, a flawed but excellent player. Um, flawed, you see it in Chicago. Excellent, you see it in Baltimore. Patrick Queen wasn't like a home run best linebacker or one of the best linebackers in the league. Like those two have been dogs in Baltimore. Um, Jadeveon Clowney is having one of the best seasons of his career this year, and he was signed in like the middle of the season. I feel like it, I, like was he even there for the joint practices, Anthony, when we were up in Baltimore or when I was up in Baltimore? Was Clowney even on the team yet? I don't think so. I don't think so either. And he's had like legitimately one of the best. He had a double digit sack season, and so you take these guys that are super duper talented, but. You know, Kyle Van Noy signed off the couch in the middle of the season. Like, obviously, Anthony Weaver, their D-line coach, who's also getting interviewed by Washington, um, is is a is a role to play in that. But you talk about the ability to just be precise in your execution at all levels, all players, and and a clear vision of like who your personnel is and how you want to build it. I think those. I think McDonald and Johnson coordinate two units that specifically have done that well. And then for Raheem, like, I just think he has a great global understanding of football. A guy that's worked with Kyle, worked with Sean, like, worked with some of the innovative offensive minds, has coached offense and done it pretty well. Coached defense at a tremendously high level for a long time. And if we're being honest, if he didn't get that head coaching job in Tampa, which was just a terrible job and he was way too young for it and all that kind of stuff, he would have had a head coaching job by now again. So you're getting a guy that's kind of overdue based off merit. And I think Raheem Morris is is right there for me because he's just just an incredible person and and dynamic personality that absolutely would do a great job leading any organization. I I really hope Raheem gets a job this time around. All right, when we get back here on the Hoffman Show, thanks for all the calls again on this Vibe Check Tuesday on the Ace Law Listener Line. If you're in Iraq, Ace Law helps you get a check. You call eighty eight. 88 Ace Law. When we get back, though, Michael Phillips joins us for his weekly visit on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live on the free Odyssey app and streaming live on YouTube. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. Anthony, you just knew that after that, like I came into the show in such a good, positive mood. We had a contentious hour of calls, which is fine. It's good radio. People seem to enjoy it. Then you had to, you had to hit me with a little trombone shorty. Get the vibes right. Much appreciated. Speaking of great vibes, speaking of great time, what better than Michael Phillips? Ladies and gentlemen, it's time for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. Miguel joins us now, of course, on the guest line. Uh, you can listen to him, 910 The Fan, each and every weekday on the free Odyssey app, 10 a.m. to noon on 910 The Fan in Richmond. Michael, how are you, sir? Boy, I feel like that was a lot of hype. I don't know if I'll be able to live up to that or not, but I'll do my best. All right, that's all we really want out of you is your best, and we'll, we'll frankly live with the results. You can take that <laughs> however you want it because that sounded incredibly mean now that I hear it come out of my own mouth. <laughs> 
I, I shall give my all, and my all is all I have to give. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, uh, Michael, I'm going to ask you uh, the same two questions to, as a starting point here for a conversation that I asked the callers in the last hour, which is, what have you made of the process so far for the head coaching search, and who is your favorite to land as the commander's head coach? Uh, ben Johnson, obviously, I don't think I'm breaking any new ground there. I think he's the clear favorite at this juncture. I don't think it's a, you know, it's not a done deal until there's pen to paper. Uh, I would say the one obstacle at this point, potentially, is the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, the Falcons do seem to have zeroed in on Bill Belichick. Um, but, you know, things could, things could happen there. That's a guy who is going to want a pretty elaborate agreement in place, is going to have a list of demands, is going to see things a certain way. And if things fall apart at the 11th hour there, uh, it sends everybody back into a game of musical chairs, right? And maybe Atlanta decides, you know, that Johnson's the guy for them. And, you know, all of a sudden everything goes into chaos. That said, I think this is an attractive job. I think he wants the job. I think they want him to have the job. Uh, I think the process has gone as smoothly and as quietly as you could hope for, Craig. We don't, you know, not a lot of it has, has taken place in public, has transpired in public. I think that's a great thing. Um, you know, I, I, we talk about, like, recency bias, right? Like, you know, a, a being biased by things that happen. I do think Dan Quinn is a, a solid candidate who had a really bad day on national TV. Uh, I also think the Ravens defensive guys are having phenomenal days on national TV. So I, I try not to get too caught up in all that. But uh, I, I think at the end of the day, you're, you're looking to Detroit on this one. No, I agree with you. And I, I think that, you know, what you said there at the end is really important is like the, what we see on TV is the resume. The resume gets you in the door. The interview gets you the job. Yeah. And my question would be, is there anybody that you think could come out of one of these interviews or have you heard, even better, Michael, reporting? Hey, hey, have you hey, heard, hey. especially in these in-person interviews, these second rounds or what came out of the virtuals that somebody set themselves up with another really good interview to potentially pass Johnson in this process, whether it is a Dan Quinn or Raheem Morris, uh, Aaron Glenn's going to get interviewed uh, after or before at the same time as roughly Johnson next week when the commander's brass flies to Detroit uh, to do those interviews. So like, what, is there anybody else that you would say like, Hey, with a really good interview, like that person wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. If I'm sprinkling chips around the roulette board, right. I, I want a couple on Raheem Morris. That's a guy who's just really impressive. Um, and, and not only that, we, we talk about this being a thorough process and this is a thorough process, by the way, Myers and Spielman and Harris and all these guys, um, they're going to talk to a lot of people and they're going to gather a lot of information and the more information they gather, you know, this Greg, the more they're going to like Raheem Morris. Yes. Uh, there, there's, a, there's a lot to like there. Players love playing for him. And that's not to say they won't like what they hear about Ben Johnson. They're going to like what they hear about him too. Um, but I, I think there's a lot of people really banging the drum for Raheem Morris in a way. And I don't want this to sound comparative, um, but it kind of is, I guess. In, you know, this is like part two of what you heard about Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs, right? They, they really want him to get that job but it just feels like there's more people going louder for Raheem Morris. Like, Hey, this is a guy who needs to be an NFL head coach and, and deserves a second opportunity um, and is ready and qualified for that opportunity. Uh, I think he will impress in the interview um, by all accounts, uh, Eric, the enemy impressed in his interview. Um, I don't think he's a serious contender for the job. Uh, I, I think that is for reasons that don't involve his qualifications or non-qualifications for the job, just reasons that involve, it's time for a fresh start here. And he just got caught up in a bad season at a bad time. 
I, I hope he gets another opportunity in the league. Uh, you know, he's interviewed with 16 teams now for an NFL head coaching spot. Uh, I got to think his number will get called eventually, but, uh, you know, it looks like it may not be in this cycle. Yeah, no, I, I think that's another good point. We Part of our intense calls of the last hour was about, mostly about the enemy, and um, that is something that I wish I brought up as well, is like the fresh start thing I think is very, very real here. And, you know, that's another knock against Eric that's not necessarily his fault, um, but it is a reality of the situation. Um, for Morris, too, another quick sidebar, like I think Raheem is a good reminder to all of these coaches to not take the Carolina job. You don't, <laughs> yeah. Like Raheem Morris having been a head coach in Tampa is hurting him more than it is helping him. And it's a reminder that taking the first job offer you get that is available, if you truly think that you can get another one, might not be. And this is like good life advice. Don't just take the first offer when it comes. Take the right offer. Because I, I think that if Raheem Morris hadn't been the head coach in Tampa all those years ago when he was 31 years old or whatever he was, then he like he wouldn't be available for the commanders to even consider right now because he'd be a head coach somewhere else. Yeah, I mean, co-sign that to Mike McDonald in Baltimore, right? Like, all this guy does is shred Kyle Shanahan offenses. It's incredible. Like, I mean, this is the hottest offensive program going in the NFL. Everybody's trying to get a piece of the Shanahan offense. McVay is running it. LaFleur is running it. Bobby Sloak's running it in Houston. All this guy does is shred those offenses every time he plays them. He, he's 36. He's young, he's hot, he's only going to be hotter. Imagine if he bottles up Mahomes after bottling up, you know, San Francisco on national TV. Don't take a job just because you're offered a job. There will be opportunities for you. Don't you worry about that, buddy. So let's play the game then. Let's let's go around the NFL. Do uh, we just get to, you know, I'm going to embrace your radio hostness now instead of your reporter. Oh, there we go. I love it. Uh, Michael Phillips with us, of course, MP on the mic, 910 The Fan, 10 a.m. to noon daily in Richmond. And you can listen to his show on the free Odyssey app. So let's, let's dot the map. Uh, ben Johnson's the prediction here. What about Atlanta? Do you think it's Belichick? It seems like that's uh, I'll go headed. Belichick in Atlanta and Harbaugh to Los Angeles. Okay. I think those are the two kind of most obvious ones. Okay, so that leaves Tennessee now uh, covered. Uh, Brian Callahan, who, by yep. the way, good hire for them. They weren't probably going to get Johnson. They weren't going to get McDonald. They weren't going to get the top, top guys. Callahan's a really good coach. Um, and by the way, now every single, whether it's due to promotion or firing, every single team in the NFL has changed offensive coordinator since 2022. Isn't that incredible? And I'll, I'll zoom in on that point before we get back to the game. You're either an offensive coordinator who's calling plays, and that means if you're good, you get to be a head coach, or you're an offensive coordinator and you work under somebody calling plays, which means you got to get out of there and start calling plays so you can be a head coach. There, there's really no, no in-between. There's no room for the Wade Phillips veteran offensive coordinator who just oversees things that that guy doesn't exist right now no the closest one is probably uh brian schottheimer in dallas i've that that's who's down there right with uh with mccarthy uh you know his travails are legendary but uh you know that the fact that he's never even gotten a sniff probably tells you what you need to know there yeah so he's he's kind of doing the i'm never going to get a head coach supervision uh not calling plays bit um all right so seattle is then the next job who do we think I'm, winds up in Seattle? I'm really – that's the one I'm most intrigued by. Um, you know, I, I'll, I'll knock out Carolina for you, Aaron Glenn. Um, I, I just think Carolina is going to be the one – look, the reputation is the reputation. We, we saw that with, with everything going on here, with Ron Rivera's hire, with Jay Gruden's hire. 
the top names didn't want to come to Washington. The top names don't want to work for Tepper right now in Carolina. Uh, that, that's not that's not intended to disrespect Aaron Glenn, who's done some great things. But I, I, if he senses this is his year to jump, I think that's the place he ultimately jumps to. Um, so hold Seattle, on, real quick, I'll double click yeah. on that real quick. Yeah, I don't disagree it. with that. Because I think it is important to remember that Aaron Glenn was like a game from getting fired in the middle of last year. And they turned it around and have been incredible since. But like, I don't know, like Aaron Glenn being a hot name a year from now isn't as guaranteed, I think, as Mike McDonald. That is exactly the point I was making. So thank you for making it better than me. If you sense this is your moment and the, the skillet is red hot and you gotta go, you gotta go, man. Go go get your money. Uh, I don't blame you for putting bread on the table. For sure. All right. So that leaves Seattle. That leaves Seattle. I, I think the obvious answer is Dan Quinn because of the ties. I, I don't know. I could see them really going off the board here. I could see them going for a Mike McDonald. I could see them going for a Bobby Slovak, and let's just have a division of Kyle Shanahan disciples uh, up and down. Uh, we haven't heard from Mike Rabel. Is he potentially a good fit as a culture guy? in what was a culture team for a decade and a half under Pete Carroll. Uh, I am most intrigued by that one. I'd be curious who you got. Yeah, I think Quinn is is definitely intriguing there. Slowick is also intriguing. I don't know that Vrabel and Seattle's a fit. Like, it's a culture thing, but it's a different culture. Like, Pete Carroll built a culture of competitiveness and fun. What about anybody from the Belichick tree says fun? And now Vrabel definitely has shown a fun side. Some of his interviews with like Will Compton on the bus, for instance, there is a fun side there, but I think it's a very different kind of atmosphere than what Pete Carroll built. And that is a priority for John Schneider, the GM up there is to keep kind of the culture that uh, Pete in Seattle or Pete had built there. Oh, no question. You know, that this is not, Let's rebuild. Let's go for something new, right? All, all coaching searches are fundamentally one of two things, Craig. They're either let's find what we had and keep it rolling, or let's find the opposite of what we had because what we had sucked. And um, Seattle searches absolutely let's find what we had and keep it rolling, right? New England search was that. Let's find another Belichick. Ooh, we got one on staff. Let's grab him. Let's keep it moving. Uh, Washington search is let's find the opposite. And uh, off they go to find the opposite. Uh, I, I think Seattle could be a real wild card. Um, I you know, I, I would guess the field, if you gave me the big names or, or names not on the board, but if we got to pick from the big names, I, it, it's hard not to think Dan Quinn. I, the, the players loved him there. He knows what Carroll's about. Uh, I, he just feels like the most logical fit there. S- sometimes it just feels like you should just do the logical thing. And if you fail, it's like, well, it made all the sense in the world. What, what, you you, know, you cannot be blamed for making that hire. Right. If you're the guy pulling the trigger, like, if you make an adventurous hire, you can be blamed for it later. You can get the credit, too, but you can be blamed. If you hire Dan Quinn and it doesn't work out, nobody's blaming you, and I don't think it wouldn't work out. I think he's a good coach. No, I, I agree with that. Um, so then that leaves a couple of names that I think are interesting. By the way, the other name to watch for me in Carolina is their current D.C. Evero. Um, young. Absolutely. And, like, if I'm him, though, do I want that job? That That, to me, is more what that's about. Um, or do you just figure, hey, like we, our defense is pretty good. I've, I've respected in the building, and if it doesn't work out here, people are going to blame the owner, not me. So maybe I'll just take the money. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll go out on a limb here. He's going to be a head coach in the NFL within the next five years. I don't know if this is his yeah. cycle. Um, this is not a you need to do it while you're hot situation. This is a you're only going to get hotter situation, right? You think about like, man, I mean, just just in Detroit with with Johnson sitting out the last cycle. It just made him even hotter this time around. I could see 
a similar situation playing out there. So then the other name that I think is intriguing that is not being mentioned. I mean, there's definitely some other ones that are intriguing and not being mentioned, but uh, I, I think the most intriguing, the one, like the one that makes the least sense to me that's not being mentioned right now is Dave Canellis, the OC in Tampa. He was the OC in Seattle when Gino had his revival year two years ago. He goes to to Tampa, revives Baker this year. I would be super interested in, in interviewing him and kind of understanding, is this dude got the goods or is he just a smart OC? Does, like, where are we at with him? He's only interviewed from what I can find, Michael, in Carolina. And maybe they, they go after him. If I'm him, I might turn that down and bet on the fact that I'm going to be a hot name next year. But, like, I'm kind of interested that Seattle hasn't thought, like, yeah, let's bring him back. Yeah, you know, it, it makes you wonder, right, that, that in free agency, right, you're always looking, you know, is a team going to sign a guy? If they, if they want to re-sign a guy, you want him. And if they don't want to re-sign a guy, you don't want him, right? You, that, if that's the only piece of information you've got, right, oh, he's available. Oh, shoot, that means – the team that had him didn't want him. We shouldn't sign him or they're trying to sign him. Yeah. Throw money at him. Like that's the guy we want. Try to pry him out of there. Um, I don't know. I don't have any inside information there. I do know if I were Carolina, I'd look long and hard there. You got a young quarterback that really needs some mentoring. You got a guy who gets the most out of quarterbacks. Um, I could see that being a very logical fit there for sure. No doubt. All right. Uh, last thing that I can think of real quick, unless I'm missing some major topic that we should be talking about. Um, but where do you think the enemy ultimately lands? Like he's, he's not going to be here as the OC. So he's going to probably be an OC somewhere. And also who gets a job first, him or Rivera? You know, I, I do think he's an OC somewhere. I agree with that. I don't think he'll be left without a seat. Some people are wondering like, a, oh my gosh, you know, is he going to have to go down to be in a quarterback's coach or a lower level coach? I don't think so. I think there's an OC job for him out there. I, I don't know where it is, um, but, but I know he's respected in the league. And I, I think, look, what he did in Washington is fine. It's not a plus. It's not a minus. He was here. He was part of a bad situation. What happened in Kansas City this year where there was some pretty real regression early in the year that's a point in his favor. Um, he gets teams ready to go from week one. Um, and you saw that here. Like, there is no acclimation period. They are ready to go. He runs one of the few tough training camps left in football. That's why he's polarizing. But that's why his teams are ready to play week one and why the Chiefs weren't ready to play week one this year. Um, Rivera, I think, is an interesting one. I Look, you're going to want to talk to him for strategic reasons, if nothing else, because he's got a He's got a library of information about National Football League teams up there. Uh, so I think he's going to get a lot of interviews. Uh, I think ultimately he's a linebackers coach guy. I don't think he's a defensive coordinator somewhere, but I've been wrong before. So I'll, I'll take the enemy first in that first level of hires. Rivera coming second as, t as people fill out their staff. Uh, I get the sense Rivera wants to coach, though, so I think he will coach. No, I agree with that. And I think like the one thing that I can't get out of my head with Rivera more than anything else in terms of his potential viability as a coach is the people that I know who, and like I will name Logan by name because Logan said this into a microphone on our podcast yeah. multiple times, like the people that I know Logan included, but Logan's not the only one who have actually talked football with Ron who like get past the manager, the manager, like, let me speak to the manager. Actually, forget him. Let me speak to the football coach. Like, you get past the manager, you get past the BS, you get past the narrative chasing, and you actually talk football with the guy. He's really smart. 
And so, like, as a football coach, he's kind of intriguing. But will, will the other stuff that he wasn't good at as a head coach get in the way? Like, uh, has the game passed him by? He hasn't done it in a long time. Like, yeah, the defense was better in the final five weeks in Washington, but they still stunk and they lost all five games. So, I like, I struggle with what to make of him going down a level or possibly two as a linebackers coach or a DC, whereas Bienemy, like, there's a dozen places that are going to have OC openings that I would I would consider talking to the guy. He's such a logical fit in all of them. With Ron, too, you give him a linebacker's room, all six of those guys are going to run through a wall for him, like by, by week three. Just guys love him, and part of it in Washington was he was spread too thin. He needed to be too many things to too many people. Uh, it didn't get – you remember when he left Carolina, it was just such a, like, everybody came out of the woodwork to share, like, how much he meant to them, how much of a mentor he was to them. And you heard some of those stories here but it wasn't the same. He was spread too thin here. If you give, if you give me a little, some concentrated Ron Rivera, I, I know maybe the game's passed him by a little bit. I know maybe he's a little bit older. But dang, if you give me a room of six guys and let Ron mentor them, I, I do think they'll love him and run through a wall for him, and it'll work out all right. Yeah, for sure. I was just trying to think of landing spots for EB, and I had to look up. Jacksonville fired all their defensive coaches. If they had fired, I and mean, their, their OC Press Taylor is pretty well thought of, but damn, yeah. if I'm if I'm Doug Peterson and I can bring EB in as even if as an assistant head coach, I would do that in a second with Trevor Lawrence as my quarterback. Are you kidding me? You, you know, there, there's so many teams that could benefit from that kick in the pants. And don't sleep on Cincinnati either. Uh, Cincinnati yeah. has an opening now. Uh, I could absolutely see that being a good fit for him. Uh, you know, a, a team that really underachieved to a large degree, and, and maybe the windows closed in a little bit. And, uh, they, they need some fresh blood and a guy who's, who's not afraid to ruffle some feathers to, to get there. Like we always, I felt like we talked about it too often. Like that was a bad thing. Like he's willing to ruffle some feathers. There are some organizations out there that that would be a wonderful asset to their organization. hundred percent. Like you, you have to be willing to ruffle feathers. You also have to be willing to listen. And I think that's a part of the fear of him as, as a head coach is like, what happens when the feather ruffler is unchecked? Cause he's the lead guy. And I, and I do wonder, like, if that's kind of come up in interviews where coach, like, GMs are like, I don't know if I want that guy running the team, but I want him somewhere on staff. And, like, you know, that's why some guys are great coordinators and other guys are great head coaches. And maybe EB would, would understand that. And he's a very, very smart man. Like, there's definitely, um, I think, a level. There, there are levels that he could, he could, you know, ride the elevator with. But I definitely agree with you that Cincinnati and, and some of these other places, like as these guys depart for head coaching gigs, there's a lot of good fits. And especially if you have a talented quarterback, like letting EB or having EB help that guy cook sounds like a, a good idea. All right. Michael Phillips is on 910 The Fan every single weekday from 10 a.m. to noon. He joins us weekly here on The Hoffman Show. And we'll do that at least through the end of this coaching search which michael could be next week could be the week after who knows we could be talking all the way through february at this point we'll see we made the announcement on uh, our show we're taking it to the super bowl radio row uh, oh you are coming to vegas i are, will you be in vegas i'm going to vegas i'll see oh, you in sure, vegas. Let's go, let's hey! go to vegas oh let's go let's go what days are you being are you out there We'll be full Monday to Friday from Vegas. Nice. We're, I'm going Wednesday to Friday. So we fly out Tuesday. Miss, like Tuesday won't be on the air. I won't be. I'm sure like Doc or Linnell will be in and they'll do a great job because that's what they do. Uh, but yep. then Wednesday, Wednesday through Friday, we're in Vegas. I'm pretty pumped oh. about it. Yeah. And then, and then I'm doing, are you doing indie too? And I am not. I just want to say that is such a veteran move. Like 
the guests on Radio Row get exponentially better with every day. My guy Hoffman just like strutting in like, all right, did we deal with the riffraff? I'm ready to make some radio now. Let's go. Let's go. Um, we'll see. I don't know. Sometimes sometimes the afternoon shows, it thins out a little bit. People are like, all right, I think being on West Coast time will help. Nothing no worse doubt. than being My- a morning radio show on West Coast time. You're just outside of that realm, but it could be a little sleepy at 7 a.m. on Radio Row in Vegas for you. I'll, I'll start up Radio Row, but uh, the, the part where I sign off uh, before lunch and have the rest of the day to, the day to myself, that part's not too shabby. No, that is that is true. All right, well, hopefully I'll see you before Vegas, probably at a coach introductory press conference. But if not, I'll see you in Las Vegas, Michael. Las Vegas, baby. Let's go. Good chatting with you, Craig Hoffman. Uh, you as well, Michael Phillips. Thank you, sir. That is Michael Phillips, everybody, with us on the Hoffman Show. 10 a.m. to noon, you can listen to his show on 910 The Fan via the free Odyssey app. When we get back, uh, let's do this. Let's get you a little insight from, speaking of Logan Paulson, uh, some insight from him on these coaching candidates. Uh, So we will do that next, specifically on Mike McDonald. Uh, Went a little bit deeper on the Ravens and kind of what they do and what's made him special through the lens of the games this weekend. So that is next here on the Team 980. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We'll talk a little NBA, huge news day, and huge performance last night from Joel Embiid with Josh Harris in the front row. Talk about all that coming up right at 6 o'clock right now, though time for a little take command. So the uh, conversation that we had uh, on today's show was a comprehensive recap of the divisional games through the lens of the commander's future. Like looking at the coaching candidates, looking at how the rosters were built, looking at all that stuff. And I started off asking Logan about how these resume building playoff performances actually turn into or don't coordinators getting head coaching jobs. Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think it's something that people maybe don't fully understand. Like, obviously, it's an important data point, and it's something that is relevant to your coaching search because you want guys that win football games. But ultimately, like, I think people really, fans and people that aren't familiar with the process, really undervalue the interview process. Yes. Like, the resume is important, obviously, and, and you winning football games is important. But what do you like in the room? You know, like, when Kyle and Sean were both interviewing for jobs, there was this, like, prevailing thought that, that Sean was going to be more impressive in the interview because he interviewed better. And like there was opportunities for Sean that weren't there for Kyle because Kyle, you know, like has changed in this regard, but was a little bit standoffish, a little bit abrasive at that point in his career. And, you know, obviously has grown out of that and become this, this guy that is a brilliant head coach. Um, But I think there's so much to be said for how you deal with the people in that room that are on that team of, of the selection committee, right? How you talk to Josh Harris, how you talk to um, Adam Gates, all, all these different guys, right? Like how, what does that look like? What is your vision? How do you present that? Cause really like everyone gives Ron a hard time for saying that he's been managing for the last three years, but the head coach is a leader, a manager, unless you're calling plays, obviously that's a little bit different, but it's really about your relationship with those people and how you present yourself in those meetings. So while that is an important data point, like it doesn't really matter. Like you, once you get in that room, that's the thing that's going to really decide. Like think about Sean's record, but like when he went out to LA, like the, the year prior when they were coached, it wasn't great. It wasn't like, Oh my gosh, here's this guy that's been super successful, super dynamic. It's like you were hiring a guy who was a charismatic leader, who had a vision for an offense, who had a vision for a team 
and he had a good uh, inter interpersonal relationships that were very high or that skill was very high for him. So I look at that and I think like that's what that's why you're doing these interviews, right? Is to get that stuff. It's not the football stuff. These guys are all smart football coaches. Like the, all the guys we've talked about on this show, all the guys they've interviewed are very, very smart football minds. It's about the interpersonal relationships and your vision for the team that can only be kind of seen when you're in that interview process. No, I'm so glad you said that. I talked about this on the radio show on Monday and I used Sean exactly as an example. His last game in 2016, to take it to like the head-to-head Slug versus McDonald thing, right? Yeah. His last game as offensive coordinator of the Commanders in 2016 was against Steve Spagnola and the Giants, uh, Spags being the defensive coordinator, right? Like, Spags is an incredible defensive coordinator. Uh, he's gone on, obviously, since 2019 and won a couple of Super Bowls in Kansas City. He was a part of the Giants Super Bowl winning teams uh, back in the late, you know, the late aughts, early 2010s. Like, he is fantastic at that job. But if you come out of that absolute flop of a game at the end of 2016 where the commanders have a chance to get into the playoffs and they come up short and their offense looks terrible, it's one of the worst games Kirk ever played uh, in Washington – like if you just judge it off of that head-to-head matchup, you'd be like, "Oh, why doesn't Spags have the job? Right. Why? Why doesn't like that's just not how this works. It's about a different skill set." Now, I do think that a clear vision for football is really important as a head coach, um, and, and that is essential to kind of partnering with Peters and building the team. Right. Right. Like if you can't communicate your vision of what you want your team to be, you're not going to hire a good staff because you're going to hire a bunch of maybe talented people, but that don't fit together. Like kind of what happened to Frank Reich last year in Carolina. You had all these very good coaches, all of whom are going to go get maybe even in some cases better jobs somewhere else, but didn't work well together because they didn't see the games in similar ways. Uh, if you don't have that and you can't lead that way, that's that's going to be a problem. But it's not necessarily about how good you are as a coordinator with another person over you as head coach. You know, the, the last point I'll make on this to touch on like what Ron said about the managing versus coaching thing is like the Ron may have correctly identified his split between managing and coaching, but like that belies the fact the way he presented it is like, hey man, like that is the job is to manage. You didn't do a very good right. job of it, and right. and obviously that is seen in the results. So I say that just to point that out, not necessarily to pile on, but managing is the job often of a coach. The higher up you are on the ladder, the more managing you're going to have to do. And so Mike McDonald crushing Bobby Slowick for a second time this year with his very, 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 very good Ravens defense doesn't necessarily mean that like, oh, he's got a vault to the top of the head coaching list. That said, what he's doing is insanely impressive. Yeah, what he's doing is insanely impressive. Again, like that's a very, very talented group, top to bottom. Like defensive backs are playing really well, linebackers are playing well, defensive line is playing out of this world. Just the depth they have there and the rotational ability, like the fact they're able to get so much out of a Kyle Van Oy, a guy that was on the couch, you know, for the first half of the season, comes out and looks awesome. You know, Jadavian Clowney having the most productive year of his career. And again, like the talent's important, but, you know, seeing what he's doing, McDonald's doing from a blitz standpoint, and it really, to me, just shows you how important, like all these games, you know, like we're going to talk in generalities because there's not enough time to talk specifically about each single one. But when you can find ways to generate pressure with scheme in the NFL, you're winning, you're winning football games. And I think that's what Baltimore does such a good job of. It's like, yes, you have four guys, probably six or seven guys there that can win one-on-one pass rush, but I'm not going to ask you every single down to do that. 
because I know that's really hard. I know that's like an unrealistic expectation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to find ways to kind of create overloads, have fire zones, mess with protection rules, create free runners that will later on free you up in those obvious four-man situations. And I think like when you look at the Baltimore game, that's the thing that separates the the the, the defensive performances. Because I do think that D'Amico Ryan's called a pretty good game. I'm like, man, I like this call here. I like this pressure. I like this coverage. But the Baltimore offensive line, they just seemed a little bit more prepared in terms of how they were going to handle some of those looks. And then the other thing that just is so glaring in this game and all the games in the playoffs is that quarterback needs to be a playmaking entity for you. Like it just, it, it has to happen. And I think about, we're going to talk about the quarterbacks here in a little bit for the draft. And I don't. I hate to be a guy of the moment, but every year in the playoffs, there's a reason like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson are guys that you're just like you're sweating bullets when you have to play because like there's a simple play where D'Amico does a great job bringing nickel pressure. There's two free runners to the quarterback. Lamar kind of feathers back, buys a little bit of time, uses that athleticism, completes the ball for a first down. You're like that is backbreaking for a defense because that's the right call, that's the right execution, and the quarterback just says, you know what, I'm better than you on this play. And so good luck. And then, and I think that's the difference obviously is, is a, a talented roster with a good dynamic quarterback and a, and a defensive play caller that understood how to break protections and create pressure with an experienced defensive group to me is, is kind of the, the thing that defines that game. Yeah, for sure. And I think on the other side of it, right, like obviously Stroud's a playmaker as well. And there's some moments in yes. that game where he extends drives and that's great. But generally speaking, the offense of the Texans felt the pressure like mm. McDonald and Anthony Weaver and that staff dialed up, tightened the screws so much on Houston that not only did they score three points, but all the penalties like the offsides, like they were jumpy the entire right. game. And to have an offense that, by the way, put up what 45 on the Browns the week before to have them be that out of sorts that out of whack that unconfident that they're jumping off sides you know it wants a series yeah. um that they've got all these penalties they just can't execute the basics because because the, they're so tight um is is really impressive um and and again like I feel like sometimes we you know, we feel like we're just downplaying McDonald because of how no, talented yeah. they are and, and, you know, kind of making the point that they're, they're different jobs, but I, I just can't speak, you know, highly enough of kind of what they're doing. And like you said, like, is there talent? Yes. But some of that talent is, you know, guys that's primed with five years ago and he, right. he's found the fountain of youth for them and found ways to set them up for success. Yeah, and I don't want to make it sound like he's not like again, like I was this is a game where I was really impressed with their blitz vision, you know, and how they yeah. executed their coverages. Like they just did such a good job of like in key moment. And it's not only the blitz, because everyone runs, not everyone runs them, but a lot of teams run these blitzes, right? The blitz is where you're bringing four to a side and you're dropping a guy out. To me, I just see the timing of it is so high yeah. level, right? And it's just They're like, such oh, good teachers in Baltimore. Yes, yes. And like the timing of it, the execution, like how the, how the defensive end hooks the tackles inside arm so there's no way they can bump through, how, wait the de how long the defensive tackles wait when they're the guys dropping out in the zones, and how quickly they get to spots and how they know how to match. Because so many times, man, people use defensive linemen to drop, and you're relying on the defensive line coach to coach those drops, and you just get two guys guys who are dropping to nothing right they're, they're 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 not good at matching concepts and you see these guys you see pierce their nose guard who's 375 
matching number three with his eyes, running that direction. Like, I know what to do in these situations. So I don't want to detract from him in any way. Like, they're a very talented team, but you see it in the details, man. You see it in the timing. You see it in the understanding. You Again, to get to, to get your nose guard to say, I have to match number three in this look and to create a cloudy throwing window is big-time stuff. In addition to having all these unique dynamic playmakers in the back end, you know, Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen. I look at Ham, uh, Hamilton, right, Kyle Hamilton? Yeah, Kyle and Hamilton, like what, yeah. How, how they use him. It's just they, they're doing some, again, it's it's basic stuff done at a high level. And then there's some innovative stuff that you see, like with Wink Martindale, like we talked about in the last podcast, where you're like, right. man, that's a really good blitz. But again, other teams do it. It's just their execution, given the talent, given the coaching, is just is is just at a high level. Yeah. Um, so the teaching thing, I wanted to follow up on that from your career. And like, to me, that's a trait that could translate really well oh, to a absolutely. head coach absolutely. because it shows like a clarity of vision and an ability. Like I look at a guy like Mike McDonald and I don't know that he's the one teaching all this stuff. Maybe he's got great position coaches. Maybe it's both. Um, clearly Anthony Weaver is very highly thought of. He's also getting head coaching looks as the, as the D line coach. Right. But when you look at just how solid they are on all three levels, you have to think McDonald's a big part of teaching not just some of the bigger concepts, but some of the techniques and how to execute them and, and really getting that vision so everybody understands what you're trying to accomplish as a group, not just what uh, the individual jobs are. And to me, that would translate really well, not just to a defense that he could be coordinating as he's the head coach, but it's like if you have an offensive player who is struggling to get something, to have someone with that clear of a global understanding of football yeah. – like to me, that would translate well as a head coach. Is that is that me putting together dots that don't connect, or is that something that you've seen true in your career? Well, I just think about the best teachers that I had as position coaches, and I think about Kyle and how good of a teacher he was. And so, obviously, I'm biased towards that. I think Sean was one of the best teachers I had as a tight end coach, as a coordinator. He was a great teacher. Kyle was a great teacher. Um, you know, as a coordinator, like in terms of his understanding of defense and how to kind of maximize you. And I, and I think that's what you're seeing from a defensive perspective. It's one of the things we've always said about Wink Martindale and why he would potentially be a good head coach is because he understands defensively or offensively what you're trying to do to him and mm -hmm. i am coaching you up obviously it's it's clear just in the details of it of how to beat what the offense is presenting and i think that's where you say those skill sets those visions are are in my experience what good coaches do you know what i mean and i think like there's a reason you know, like Kyle Shanahan, for example, his tree is so prolific or Mike Shanahan and that tree is so prolific is because he's got a bunch of guys who who are good teachers, good communicators, and they understand the opposition. They understand football at a high level, right? They understand offensively how to beat defenses because these are the defensive rules. And I think you're seeing a little bit of that with Mike McDonald, where you're seeing these are the defensive principles we're trying to teach and this is how we're going to teach them to beat offensive football right now and I think that's like you know there's a reason that like when you know in a heavy play action offense you're bringing these edge pressures like you're you're kind of challenging the the backs and the tight ends in ways that make it very hard to execute these protections which lead to explosive plays and I like that you know we talked about in the San Francisco game that we watched how we're going to take away Christian McCaffrey we're going to make sure that he's not a factor in this game and that's just good process. And I think like it goes, it, it kind of goes hand in hand. I'm a good teacher. I understand football. I understand the direction the game is going. I understand what you're trying to do to us. And then I can communicate it to the guys because obviously the execution, you know, they do have good players, obviously, but the execution's at a very high level.
Right. So that leads to the last thing before we talk about Kyle's team itself, uh, 49ers Packers. Uh, and then obviously we'll hit the other two games as well, but wrap up the Saturday games here in a second. But like, it is worth pointing out for McDonald, unlike the resume side of it, he's the only guy that seems to be able to shut down the Shanahan tree. Yeah. Like as he, you know, he's in the coordinator coordinator position of the team that has smacked San Francisco, smacked Houston twice, smacked everybody else, Detroit, like all of them, they've crushed them. What, yeah. what is it that he's doing to this style of offense that is killing everyone else that is is not working against Baltimore? So I think it's it's multifactorial, obviously, but the one of the things that sticks out to me from a team building standpoint, because that's what we're going to be talking about here with the GM and the head coach, is when you look at Baltimore, they are a very big, very physical football team. And I don't think that's an accident. Like one of the things with outside zone, for example, and like, so think about it, like in Kyle's system in Mike's system, whoever, you know, it's outside zone sets up play action pass and outside zone. The whole principle is we're going to try and get you to run horizontally to create horizontal lanes for the running back to hit. And then when we hit the play action pass, you have to move horizontally with us vacating zones in the defense so we can hit the throw. And I think one of the things that I've seen and one of the things that I thought that Ron was going to try and do here with the defensive line personnel that they had is just get really big up front and be really physical and set nice physical edges. So then if I set physical edges, I can't stretch the defense. There's nowhere for the ball to go because I've got Jadavian Clowney smashing through the tight end's face and the back has to cut it up before he super wants Super fun to. when you're the tight end, huh? Yeah, it's super fun. I have, I have a, like, I remember one time, like, this is Jadavian Clowney's rookie year. We had outside zone. Got to get your hat across his hat. And I remember hitting him, like, pretty much screw to screw. And this is probably not the healthiest thing in the world, but feeling like an, like an electric jolt from the top of my head down to my feet. And I just was like, that's not great. You know, and like that, that, that's how, that's how he's setting edges, you know, to, to kind of speak to that, right? A violent and, edge, as they say. And you need to have guys who can block those edges, but you also need to have guys who set them. And when you look at how they're built, they're big inside, they're big on the edges. I, I from a team building standpoint, obviously there's more technical things going on here in terms of how they coach stuff up, the fronts they play, the, the allocate, like I, we talked about this last show, like they get into different spacings. And one of the things about Kyle that's so brilliant is he's like, if you're going to get in this spacing 60% of, 60% of the time, we're going to crush it. We're going to beat it because we know how to create angles to this. And they do a little bit of variety there. So you're not always in the same front spacing, which I think is great. But I, I just think there's something too. We are a big physical football team you look at their offensive line they're all like 330 plus they're just massive physical athletic guys that have developed in that system and i again i don't think it's an accident like they they're always like they, they drafted ben cleveland he's 6'6 he's 360 they drafted daniel falele he's 6'9 415 like they get these guys that are just big huge physical dudes and they create a culture of physicality for those guys and I, I think that's part of it is some, sometimes like you know we're drawing up x's and o's on the on the board and when I'm playing Baltimore I'm like man I don't know if our tight end can make this block man I don't know if our guard can make this block because this three technique is going to blow him up because he's 340 and our guards 290 I, again it's it's more complicated than that because there's schematic stuff with, which we get into and the confidence with, which with they play but there's something to that. There's something to having a 6'4", 225-pound nickel player that can play the post, that can play a box and cover your running back. Like, there's something to that mentality. And so I think, like, when you're building a team, like, 
they have a very clear identity. They have a very clear vision of who they want to be and how they want to play. And, and again, I think that's part of the reason why when you play Miami, like Miami's not a big group up front, you're going to get after yeah. them. So I think that's part of it. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, tell you what, instead of going to the other Saturday game, 49ers Packers, let's hit uh, Chiefs Bills real quick and just do the AFC. And that way we can talk a little bit about the matchup uh, with Kansas City and Baltimore coming up on Sunday. But this game, tremendous, tremendous yeah. football game, um, as is always like this game followed the script that all the others have. It's a tremendous football game that ends with Kansas City winning. And it's, I cannot believe it's another wide right for Buffalo. I just Crazy. feel so awful for them and their fans, like literally let them lose in any other heartbreaking fashion. Um, You know, let the kick go wide left. Just literally (laughs) don't let the kick go wide right. Um, But also, you know, obviously some decisions by Josh Allen late. Um, I think one where he goes for the end zone that you're like, well, he's wide open. He just misses the guy. And some others where you're like, "Eh, let's just check it down, get a little bit shorter of a kick. Um, But generally speaking, I mean, I, I think what's so impressive about Kansas City is they find a run game in the yeah. playoffs. And while, yes, they are pass happy and and outside of Washington, they were the pass happiest team in the league. Mahomes had more attempts than anybody but Hal. Um, and I think it wound up being one attempt different by the end of the year. When it comes time to it and defenses are like, nope, we're not giving up this, right. not to Patrick Mahomes, they always seem to be able to find a way. And Isaiah Pacheco uh, was the way in this one. Yeah, he was the way. Again, a nice physical game by him, just such a physical running style. And the both teams, both teams found ways to run the football, that which are traditionally like passing teams. You're rush, you're running John Allen, Josh Allen a little bit more, right? Um, Cook is doing a great job carrying the football and creating plays for you. They've got depth at the running back spot, the offensive line for them, which was kind of much maligned the the Bron- uh, the Bills at the beginning of the season they kind of find their form and like those big athletic dudes up front are, are making plays for you, which is great to see. But I do think it just shows you like as much as you want to throw the football, you got to be able to run the ball. And I, and this is something that maybe comes back to my biases of when I was watching the game. But when I look at, um, you know, Indianapolis, when I look at new England, there's a reason that new England came out victorious in a lot of those matchups, even though I think Peyton Manning, was kind of a more consistently a better quarterback is because when they had to change gears, when they had to change their identity, they could run the football at a high level. I'm talking about New England. And I think it's cool to see Kansas City adopt that and not have to lean on Patrick Mahomes. And I thought it was great to see from the Bills as well. And then kind of package that all in, this, this these two, I'm going to say dynamic rushing attacks because they did some really impressive stuff and the running backs were great with quarterbacks that just – I mean, every third down, they're elevating the offense. Every third down, they got to make a play. In the red zone, they're making plays. Like some of those throws, some of the ability. And it just, again, it goes back to the Lamar Jackson thing. But when you have that guy, and and we were really fortunate and blessed to watch this game because I think those are two top five guys, probably one and maybe three or four, depending on how you want to allocate your quarterbacks, you know, and Josh Allen. But when he's playing good football he's probably one of the he's probably two you know like when he's playing high level football and that's what he looked like and um it just shows you like when you have a guy who can just absolutely deal you don't have to make a perfect play call you know and i think that that's something that uh, when we're talking about the commanders like the importance of that second pick overall just it it, when i'm watching the game i can't stop thinking about it i'm like you need you need need a coordinator that understands the importance of running the football but you got to have a guy back there who can make and extend plays and 
it's tough. It's just, it was such a good game. Like talk about the games of the weekend. Like those were such fun games to watch, but um, yeah, man, I feel bad for Josh Allen because I feel like he did everything he could. And then people point to that third and nine kind of in their own zone right before the field goal is like a play that he could have done different. But I'm like, what about all like these other 50 plays where he's, or not 50, but 30, 25 plays where he's just doing absolute magic he's running over defensive tackles he's you know like i just felt like i was watching a the, kid in the high 65 school. yard bomb in the air that digs drops and you're just like Insane. this is incredible like this is incredible so um it's too bad that it didn't work out for him again like i'm happy for patrick mahomes i'm happy for kansas city i'm happy for good football but i mean i just thought that was such a heroic performance until you didn't get those plays where you got to have them at the end of the game which i'm sure buffalo fans are pissed about today so All right, that was from Take Command, which is available now in full. We talked about the NFC games as well. Why Logan was so impressed with what Ben Johnson was doing uh, and, of course, previewing uh, the games coming up this weekend. We also started to take a look at some of the guys that are going to be at the Senior Bowl next week. And on Take Command on Thursday, proud to announce, we announced it on the show, on the, on the podcast, but announced it here as well, that Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Senior Bowl, will be joining us. Jim is incredible in all things, not just draft, but like personnel. So the front office guys, like he'll have a take on and, and a read and experience with Adam Peters. Um, he'll have thoughts on on the young coaches. Like he just knows everybody in the NFL. And so Jim Nagy will join us on Thursday's podcast. Excited to bring that uh, interview to you here on the radio in full on the Hoffman Show as well. Well, when we get back, it is our final segment with Georgetown taking the air at 6.15 tonight, and we will talk about the big NBA news of the day. Why did the Milwaukee Bucks, second in the Eastern Conference, 30-13 and 13 on the year, fire their head coach? And why, for those that pay attention to the NBA, is it not that surprising? Tell you next. All right, wrapping up. We got like 10 minutes left, maybe, on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980. Oh, looking at the, the rundown. We got less than 10 minutes left. Uh, so we'll make this quick as we wrap up the show. Tomorrow, don't forget, uh, Linnell will join us for yet another Wednesday edition, thanks to goofy scheduling and a botched couch delivery uh, from our, our Overreaction Tuesday. Uh, we will do Never Read the Comments tomorrow, and we'll see what else is cooking. So we'll do all kinds of fun stuff. Today's been a great show, really intense uh, but good callers in the first hour. If you missed it, highly recommend checking out the podcast. You know, uh, obviously, we'd love you to keep listening to Georgetown Hoops. But if you're looking for some more sports talk and you just got in your car and you're like, damn it, I expect your show to go to seven, Craig. I'm sorry. The good news is you have Bluetooth, most likely, or Apple CarPlay or uh, Android, whatever, whatever version of that. And Anthony puts the podcast up as soon as the hour's over. So, and the full show goes up pretty soon after as well. So you can just go back and start the show over. And you can listen to great sports talk radio as if it's live through your car speakers. Uh, and it's just on, on a podcast. Uh, just search The Hoffman Show in your favorite podcast app. And, uh, and there you go. So uh, with that, the story that honestly, Anthony, I wanted to start the show with. But I was like, no, I will be responsible. I will start with the commander's coaching search. We'll do our vibe check Tuesday. But the Bucks, the Milwaukee Bucks, 30 and 13, second in the Eastern Conference, starting to play a lot better. In fact, they're on a two, I mean, not that they've played badly, but like the quality of play has been pretty solid um, as of late. On a two game winning streak, fired their head coach today. 
This is tied for the third shortest tenure for an NBA coach ever. Yes, that's right, because if you do remember, they fired Mike Budenholzer after last season. Yeah, Adrian Griffin, 43 games into his tenure, just over one half of a season, is gone at the helm of the Milwaukee Bucks. And I, for one, am not surprised. Hmm, that seems preposterous, Craig, because uh, who fires their head coach, barring some incident, and there hasn't been anything along those lines reported yet, but who fires their head coach 43 games in to a tenure when you're winning at that rate? How could that be possible? And the simple answer is Adrian Griffin made really big tactical mistakes that other people had to correct and is apparently colossally miserable to be around. He is so impossible to go to work for every day that the Bucks' ownership looked at his $4 million a year multi-year contract. I don't know whether it's three, four, five years, somewhere between you know, 12, 16, $20 million left and said, we'll eat that because he's making everyone miserable. And this is something that is kind of expected because earlier this year, you'll remember Terry Stotts, longtime assistant coach in the NBA, longtime head coach in the NBA, and specifically head coach where, Anthony? Where was he the head coach for nine years? Uh, Portland. And who was his star player? Uh, Damian Lillard. Oh, you mean the guy they just traded for? Yep, that guy. Yeah, and, and who was a gigantic fan of Terry Stotts? Uh, that guy, Damian Lillard. Yeah, that guy, Damian Lillard. Uh, Terry Stotts quit because he couldn't stand working for Adrian Griffin. And I don't, I don't say this like with some kind of joy to bash Adrian Griffin. I hope that whatever it is that's causing him to be miserable to other people, he can figure out, uh, and whether that's like some personal agitation in his own life that he needs to get straightened out or just like being a better, uh, coworker or whatever, um, whatever it is, I hope that that is better for Adrian Griffin moving forward, but everyone there freaking hated it. And he also just way overthought it. I think one of the things that Steve Kerr did so well when he got to Golden State was Mark Jackson had installed a defensive system that was working. They needed to completely revamp the offense. It was uh, this like post-up Clay Thompson, try to get mismatches thing. And Steve Kerr was like, what if everybody ran around in circles and then we use the fact that we're the smartest team in the league with Draymond and Andre Iguodala and the two best shooters that the league has ever seen and got everybody open shots. And they were like, oh, well, that's cool. That should work. Bing, done. Actually, it wasn't even that to start because Draymond started on the bench until David Lee got hurt. A fun fact from Warriors history. Point is, he kept Mark Jackson's defensive scheme because it worked. They were one of the best defensive teams in the league the year before Kerr got there. Well, obviously, your defense is going to get worse when you add Damian Lillard, uh, especially at the expense of Drew Holiday. But schematically, they were playing this drop system where Brooke Lopez, instead of like showing high on pick and rolls, he just kind of would sit in the middle of the lane. And the fact that you had... A seven-footer in Lopez who's become an elite defender, defensive player of the year candidate multiple years over the last five years. And Giannis, who is one of the five best defenders on the planet, um, can guard inside, can guard outside. It's just a menace. Like, that was the way to play defensively. And they were comfortable, and they knew what they were doing. They knew how to do the rotations and everything. And instead of keeping that, he's like, no, scrap it. We're going to do it my way. Everybody get on, better get on board my way. And the Giannis... Uh, Dame offensive stuff was really slow to get going. They're so good that the numbers were still fine, but like it certainly isn't clicking the way that people thought it would. And there are some pretty easy adjustments that a lot of people were like, hey, why don't they do it this way? 
and Adrian Griffin was stubborn. And I will give the Bucks credit. There is something to failing fast. When you make a mistake, cut the dead weight, move on. Fail fast. Move on quickly. And they did. And it also just goes, I think this is the larger last point I want to make on this real quick. Do not, if you're running an NBA team, do not do what your star says they want. Do what they actually want. Because Giannis was apparently the reason they hired Adrian Griffin in the first place. And now 40 whatever games in, Giannis is clearly sick of him because you don't do, you don't fire him this quick if Giannis isn't like, yeah, I'm good with that. Do what y'all need to do. Um, you don't, it's just not how it works. But if they had gone on and hired people that the people that they thought they were gonna hire, the the actual front runners to the job in Milwaukee, the people who the Milwaukee executives thought were actually the best coaches, not the guy that apparently Giannis wanted then Giannis probably would have been happier. The way to to be good with a superstar in the NBA isn't to just do what they ask. It's to do what they want, which is be good at your job. Don't chase narratives. Chase substance. Always. That goes for football coaches in Washington, basketball executives in Milwaukee, you in your own life. Don't chase narratives. Chase substance. The right thing to do is the right thing to do. And that's not like a moral statement. That is an efficacy statement. The right, make the good decision, the smart decision that will actually yield the results and people will be happy. You got to be right because if you go against what they quote unquote want and you're wrong, you're going to look like a giant idiot and you're going to lose your job. So I get the risk, but do the good thing and good things will happen. Don't chase the thing that the star says they want if it's actually not going to work out and then just be like, well, you said, because then you're also going to get fired. Uh, Anthony, do we have time to do real things? Uh, we have about a minute and 45 seconds. It's time for real things that real people said into real microphones. Real things. We're not going to be this year. Real people. Five and 11. Not very good. Said into real microphones. You know, the culture is actually damn good. Now, the other big story in the NBA last night was, uh, or in the last 24 hours, because the Adrian Griffin thing was today, uh, is that Joel Embiid scored 70. He scored 70 last night, which is extra hilarious considering that before the game, Greg Popovich said this about facing the reigning MVP. We're going to hammer his ass. (laughs) I told Wemby to stick him, put your butt right in his stomach, back him down over the rim, and just throw him through the rim. That's what you can look forward to tonight. Don't tell Wemby I said that. Uh, that's that's a man who has fear in his voice. That dude popped is actually hilarious, but I forgot to get the other bite. Kevin Durant. Oh it's yeah, re- you definitely told me to do it. I, I, you, I it's forgot. okay. That's uh, uh, the Durant was asked post game uh, the Suns game last night. So uh, I don't know if you saw, but Joel Embiid had seventy, and like he continues the question because Carl Anthony Towns had sixty two last night. And the guy wanted to ask, like, what's tonight like mean for the NBA? And Durant just goes, he had 70? Shoot! He didn't say shoot. We'll say plenty more tomorrow. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, Georgetown Hoops now.